Beyond with Mike Kelton season three is brought to you by Happy Buddha Hemp. Happy Buddha Hemp has my all-time favorite CBD gummies that I literally cannot live without. All the details on my fave nightly treats and sick discounts are coming your way, Carol. But for now, let's get this episode started, shall we? Forever. Dog. And I don't know, I'm sure you noticed, but, you know, one of the reasons that he would say hello was because he had a clicker in his hand. And he would set a goal for himself every day as to top Yeah, he had a clicker in his hand every time. Every time Are you kidding me? More, no. He was a flapper in a past life. Beyond. He's a comedian in this life. Everything he loves Magic, magic psychics, psychics, mediums, astrology Beyond Hi, I'm Mike Kelton And you're listening to Beyond Welcome back Carol and Sheila and Tina. Okay. Hi, Tina. Here we are. And I bet you're wondering about Patrick. Well, same. As you may remember on last week's episode, I sent an email out to a bunch of people that were on an email chain from Patrick on one of the last emails he sent me. And a couple days later, I got a bite. Not a bite. I got a chomp. Steve has known Patrick for years and is still in touch with him today. Not only that, but Steve was up for a call. So you know what? I used my data from my father because my dad still pays my cell phone and I can't believe I just said that and I gave Steve a call. And before we get to the call, anyone that's like, I can't believe Mike's dad pays for his phone, a lot of people are on family plans right now, okay? And maybe everybody. And so we shouldn't feel shame about that, okay? I do not feel ashamed for being on a family plan. I'm not ashamed. Here's the call. I'm doing well. Doing well, thank you. Um, thank you. I'm doing pretty good. Enjoying. The and this one. is Steve. Steve agreed to hop on the phone with me, which was nice. And good for you to know that because I was running to something, probably an improv show, on this night in late August, I had only scheduled 20 to 30 minutes for this call, which was absolutely a mistake. Anyway, Steve went on to tell me a bit about how he knew Patrick. You know, I met Patrick 11 years ago because his brother, Brother Mike, Mm -hmm. was my uh, freshman teacher at Memorial. And when, when Brother Mike came down with cancer, Patrick and Billy, their other brother, um, we're taking the train from the Bronx uh, down to the Port Authority and taking the bus out to New Jersey to be with him at Hackensack Hospital. And then they would go back at some point. And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, you guys can't do this. You know, at that point, they're, they were late 60s, but looked a good bit older. And, and after uh, Steve saw how taxing this commute was for someone of Patrick's age... He decided to help Patrick. Patrick would meet me every every day at uh, five five thirty at the Port Authority, mm-hmm. and we would drive out to the hospital or to the 
to the rehab center that Brother Mike was at. And we would take care of Brother Mike for like three hours. And then we would go home to my house and we would eat. And then we would go to sleep. And then we'd get up at, and leave at 5.30 in the morning. And we were, and then we would separate at the Port Authority. And Patrick would go down to Mass. And I would go to work. And then Patrick would go to his job. And then we'd do it all over again. Oh, and, oh man. That's, that's, a, that's a heavy lift, schedule-wise. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, do what you got to do. And as you mentioned, or someone mentioned, I guess, this morning, you know, that Patrick had worked in an emergency room. He was an emergency room nurse for 25 years before he retired from that and became a doorman. It was touching to hear that Patrick spent decades as an ER nurse. It both surprised me and didn't surprise me at all. Because, of course, Patrick was an ER nurse. That's literally the perfect job for a guardian angel. Steve went on to tell me that he became closer with Patrick after Brother Mike passed away from cancer. After that, he shared more about Patrick's life, specifically about his life with his other brother, Billy. So Billy and Patrick lived in the apartment where they grew up in the Bronx, right by the Bronx Zoo. Mm-hmm. And so I would go there and we would go to dinner at Frankie and Johnny's Pine Tavern. Mm-hmm. So, so nonetheless, ever since 14, that became a really big ritual for us. And, you know, at least once a month, if, if not other times, Billy then had had dementia. Uh, gotcha. So Patrick would not put Billy in a home, even though Billy could pay for it. He would not. He insisted Billy is not going outside the apartment. That's the apartment uh-huh. he always lived in. And Patrick was taking care of him. And so they just coexisted, and because Billy, you know, he just put up with with what Billy, whatever the actions were. Mm-hmm. But then, but then over time, in order to deal with that, he that's one of the reasons Patrick was drinking more. Yeah. So over time, Patrick was kind of number one. His feet were really starting to hurt him. He was drinking a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Patrick ended up to go into a bit of a decline, and ended up going into the hospital in July of 2017. Okay. He ended up going into the hot. Like he would, t- he would call me every day, telling me I'm going to die. You need to oh. take care of this stuff. He sent me letters with his last, you know, what he wanted to happen to anything that was left over in his account because I'm actually on his account. And then finally, he was in the street and he fell, and he, he I think he he ended up hitting a like he was trying to go up either off the curb and he fell and he hit a car. And the cops came and they asked him a few questions and he couldn't answer them. And and he always wore around his neck a lanyard that had my phone number and and a, a woman from the building's phone number. So so that woman then called me and I went then like he was only in there like two days and then and then they let him out. He ends up in rehab, so it was it was like a four or five month period. And then last December, Billy passes away. And then, you know, since then, and Patrick's kind of slowly declining a bit again. I think he's actually drinking a bit more again. Hearing this really affected me. It was sad to hear that Patrick not only lost his two brothers, but was now struggling himself. And to be honest, this call added a dose of reality to this journey for me. 
I had spent years thinking of this man in some way as invincible, ethereal, an angel. You get it. But to hear from Steve the very understandable and human realities of Patrick's life was eye-opening. I went on to tell Steve a bit about how Patrick came into my life, and I reminded Steve that he was one of the kindest people that I had ever met, which in return reminded Steve. So yeah, when you're talking about like random acts of kindness and everything else, I mean, the things that Patrick would do, he was always so generous. And the thing that's amazing is Patrick doesn't have money. He was always, as you said, you you have on the email. hundreds yeah. and hundreds of emails. Yeah. He did that with so many people. That's how he can. He loved to communicate that way. You know, it was Mailbug. He never even he didn't know how to use a computer, but he loved that Mailbug machine, which was just a little. It literally looked like a little typewriter, and it had a little screen, and you would just type, and it would just do it. So you you would read emails line by line on that little screen. It's almost like the old. I don't even know what you'd call it. Like. Um, um, beeper. He still has it on his desk, but he doesn't utilize it anymore. And But so many people that he was communicating with on that. The kindness of heart, I don't know that. Um, but that's also how Patrick, how Brother Mike was, is that, you know, even if they didn't come from a lot, as Patrick always said to me, and I have this written in my phone, uh, he said this is what his mother used to always tell them, is money is like bread. It's much better than when it's spread out. And I don't know, I'm sure you noticed, but, you know, one of the reasons that he would say hello was because he had a clicker in his hand. And he would set a goal for himself every day as to topping. Yeah, he had a clicker in his hand every time. Every time Are you kidding me? More, no. No, you can ask the people there. I, it's definitely there. You'd be like, oh, Stephen, I had, you know, 233 today, or I had 345 today. Yeah, that's what he would do. That's, That's what stand out amazing. There. This is amazing. That's yeah, really but, beautiful. But he loved the clicker. Loved the clicker. That's right. Patrick had a clicker with him every day. He used a clicker to count every stranger he said hello to on a daily basis. Steve went on to tell me that he literally tried to beat his record every day. He tried to say hello to as many strangers as he could every single day. I'm saying every single day a lot because I was shocked to hear this. But then again, I wasn't shocked at all. Of course he had a clicker. Of course he counted hellos with strangers. And of course he spent a good portion of his life in the hospital tending to people in critical need of aid. I started this podcast convincing Alex and Tracy to let me do a season looking for a man who said hello to me on the street a decade ago and this call made me feel like that was a good idea. And hearing how unwell Patrick currently was made me feel even more so that now was the time to go and see him. That's why I ended the call asking Steve if I could go up one last time and bring Patrick a cup of coffee and a sandwich, just as I had promised on our call a couple months earlier. Steve told me that he would talk to Patrick about it and let me know. Steve and I had gone back and forth a couple times via email, but Patrick was still not well enough for visitors, and this communication went on for a few months. During this time, 
I decided to start looking elsewhere for some meaning with this entire journey. I kept trying, but knew that I couldn't rest an entire season on a potential meeting that seemed, even with my optimistic outlook, unlikely. So, I decided that if I wasn't able to get the other side of my guardian angel story, I would at least try and get the other side of someone else's. Carol, my spirit guides have a message for you. Just kidding. They had nothing to do with this, but I genuinely want to let you know about some of my fave new things that have made my life and sleep habits a bit more chill and vibe-worthy in the past year. CBD products from our season three presenting sponsor, the iconic Happy Buddha Hemp. I've been truly obsessed with the full spectrum CBD gummies for a while now. And I gotta say, sleeping through the night is an absolute vibe. It's made me more alert during the day and brought my general anxiety to an all-time low, which is a vibe. If you haven't tried CBD products before, don't fret, Carol. I was also a noob when I tried Happy Buddha Hemp products and I quickly found the perfect dose for me. I recommend starting with the gummies and taking half of one 30 minutes before bed and see how it feels. The next night, do the same amount or go even further to really connect with your subconscious in the dream world. I can confidently tell you that I have tried and love all of the HBH products, which is why I literally asked them to sponsor my podcast. I know, it's sick. So if you want to get in on the CBD life, head over to happybuddahemp.com and use the code BEYOND for 30% off. Again, it's 30% off at happybuddahemp.com using the code BEYOND. This works for all of the products, Carol. So go ham and have a good day. (laughs) Which brings me here to a story about a woman named Riza. (laughs) Can you believe? And this is me and Riza vibing in the studio. Riza went on to tell me her story. I'm from Japan, born and raised. I left Japan when I was 16 because I grew up dancing, singing, doing musical theater in Japan. And ever since I was young, I don't know when, but I knew I wanted to be on Broadway. And I don't know how I learned the word even Broadway back in Japan because there's not there's no Broadway in Japan. (laughs) But I guess I heard it from someone and I was like, there's a proof in one of the um, school albums that it said, I want to be on Broadway when I was seven, maybe. So there's one one of your kind of like notebooks from school. Uh It's like a journal. It says, I want to be on Broadway. And it's from when you were seven. Yeah. And it was one of those like class, like a yearbook thingy where it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up section? And it said like, I want to be in New York and on Broadway. So ever since then, I knew I wanted to be on Broadway. But I think when I was around 13, 14 is when I realized I have to be able to speak English to be on Broadway. (laughs) So that's when I decided I'm going to leave Japan and go somewhere in America or North America to study English. And sooner the better because less accents you have, the more opportunity I'll be able to get to be on Broadway. Did your family move with you or did you? 
No, um, it was just me, myself, and I <laughs> left. Um, so weird because I had no questions. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go by myself and uh, bye, mom. <laughs> it's so At bizarre. Thirteen. Uh, sixteen. Sixteen. So Sorry. I had three more years to go. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, so I graduated from middle school. So in Japan, it's like six years of elementary, three years of middle school, and three years of high school is what the education system is like. So when I Graduated from middle school, uh, so for here it's like graduating from sophomore year, uh, freshman year. I found a Canadian high school that had some art, arts programs. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I don't have enough English skills to be studying acting, but I can be part of the dance major and still be part of this public high school. Public Performing Arts High School and study English. And with her family's blessing, <laughs> Riza actually moved halfway around the world to attend a performing arts high school in Canada. Risa went on to talk about how drastic that transition was, especially at 16. Yeah, it wasn't as easy as I'd expected. So that in Japan, everybody's required to take English, kind of like Spanish here, maybe, and French in Canada, where everybody takes those classes. Uh, so I got great scores in English. So I was like, "Oh, I'm set. I'm like, I'm pretty good. I, I'm straight A in English. It's fine." And I moved here, and I could not understand anything that anybody was saying. So that was a shock, and and so I remember the first day of. High school, running around school, trying to find out where PE class is because it's it wasn't at the gym and it was at the library, but I couldn't read anything because it was like an orientation, I guess. But I remember that day, I was like, "Oh my god, I don't know where I'm supposed to be," and that was basically my like first year because I didn't know English and I'm it was a public high high school, so I took all the same classes with everybody. So it wasn't very easy. That must have been incredibly hard, and, right? I mean, those three years was hard because I didn't really have a great host family either until the last year. So I went around a lot of different host family trying to find where to fit in with the family, with school, with the career because I felt like I wasn't. I don't know. There was a lot of change in my life. With language, school, and first time living away from family, I can't so. imagine. I think <laughs> high school is high school is scary as it is, mm-hmm. but to have moved across the world to be speaking a new language, right, in a yeah. new place with a different family, like <laughs> I, I can't imagine how tumultuous and scary that must have felt for you. It it, it was back then. We didn't have smartphones. It was flip phones, but we did have Skype, so I was able to talk to my mom basically every day, just kind of crying, maybe. <laughs> Be like, oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing. So that was a tough time, but I don't think I ever questioned my goal to want to be on Broadway, and I don't. But the fact still remained that Risa didn't speak any English, and her dream was to do musical theater on Broadway. And she thought the best way to do this was just to dive right in and go for it. So, after first year of high school experience, so sophomore year of high school,、um, 
I was itching to do musical theater. So I was in a dance major program, so I was dancing 24-7, but I didn't really have a chance to sing or act very much. I mean, rightfully so, because I didn't really speak the language, so there was a lot to learn to begin with. So then I found this program, a musical theater summer camp program in Victoria, Canada, a small, small, like, island. And I was like, I'm just going to do that. Anything, anything to let me do musicals. Um, And it was um, summer camp to put up Beauty and the Beast. But during the process of rehearsals, they invited this Broadway star from New York to do a master class. And that was Julia Murney. That's right. Julia Murney. Broadway icon and beyond pod vet, Julia Murney. Okay, Carol, if you're confused, I understand. And let me catch you up to speed. When Julia Murney was in the studio months earlier talking about living at 210 West 78th Street, where Patrick was the doorman, something you might recall from episode five, I also asked her if she had a story of her own about a guardian angel. And she said, sort of. And she went on to tell me a story about a stranger that changed her life. Someone she met at a musical theater workshop where she was teaching years ago. And that person's name was Risa. I was asked to teach at a summer musical theater, like a three-week summer musical theater program on Vancouver Island. And I was there at the end of the time. And so all the kids sang for me. I didn't really speak the language but I had this one song with me when I left Japan I learned this song called thank you for the music from Mamma Mia and that's the first song that I've ever learned in English I decided to learn the song in Japan because I knew I was leaving Japan and I needed some song with me that I can connect with to take it with me for any reason, for musical theater, anything. Um, so this master class was happening. So I was like, I'm going to sing this song for this Broadway star. There weren't a ton of them. I mean, let's say there were, I don't know, 25 of them, something like that. And they each sang a little bit and then we would work. And if not the last one of the last girls was this Asian girl called Risa. And she got up and it was very clear immediately. She barely spoke any English. I get up on the stage and I start singing and I start crying because one, there's this Broadway star standing in front of me listening, but also I don't know what I'm saying in the song. So I was like, I'm just scared. And I start crying. She sang, thank you for the music from Mamma Mia. And I couldn't even tell if she could really sing because she had learned it all phonetically. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, what am I going to do? She deserves the 10 to 20 minutes that everybody else gets. What am I going to do? And Julie stops and she lets me start the song again. I want you to sing the song again. Something might happen while you're singing. Just just keep telling the story of this song that you chose this thank you for the music song. So she started singing it again. And I don't know what she was saying at the moment, but what she did was to gather all these 
classmates or people in the class around me and sing the song with me. And I went around and I whispered in the ear of all the other kids, go sit on the floor in front of her. So by the time she got to the end of the song, they were all sitting in front of her and she was singing thank you for the music to them. And they were all crying, which I knew they would because young drama students, that's what you do. (laughs) And it was such a magical moment for me. The first encounter of this Broadway actor, but also like just such a wonderful, warm welcome to the musical theater in, in this world. And I never forgot it. I was like, this is, this is why I want to do what I do. I remember thinking to myself, A, it's a good lesson for me called, you can always do something with someone. Like even mm-hmm. with these sorts of barriers. And I never forgot that girl. And I watched her YouTube all the time after that because I felt that connection. I was like, oh my God, Julian, Mer- I met her. I want to be like her. I want to be like her when I grow up. I want to be like her when I'm on Broadway. And believe it or not, that's not where the story ends. So, cut to... Several years later. I graduate high school uh, from Canada. Um, I pursued BFA musical theater in um, in Hartford, Connecticut. And that's passed to four years of college. I graduate. I moved to New York. All these years has passed. And I book a show, Mamma Mia, at the Muni. FYI, for all my non-musical theater nerds out there, the Muni is the largest and oldest outdoor summer stock theater venue in the country, located in St. Louis. And fun fact, I auditioned there three times during college and I never got hired. Okay, back to the show. And Muni is a magical place. I love working there too. Um, And I show up to the first day of rehearsal and Julia is starring in the show. I'm at the Muni doing Mamma Mia of all shows. Mm -hmm. So then I start sharing the story with some people and I was like, should I tell Julia? (laughs) I don't think she remembers me. And I don't know, second or third day, we're sitting at the lunch area and our dance captain comes up to me and she's like, I have to tell you something. And I start telling her, I was like, I was in one of your master class. And she's like, wait, that was you? And she remembered me. And she's like, I still talk about that class all the time. And I went, you sang thank you for the music. It was you. And she goes, you remember me? I said, I never forgot you. I couldn't tell you what anyone has ever sung for me except for you. And she started crying and she said, you gave me the courage to learn English. She was our dance captain. As soon as we connected, we like started crying (laughs) because I was like, oh my God, that meant so much to me. And she was like, to me too. And I was like, this is crazy. It was just... And she had given something to me on the day that I always remembered. And I never would have known that I had inadvertently given this thing to her. But we ended, and of all things, we're doing the show that has the song in it that she sang. And that was like a sidebar. But like, you just never know. Ten years ago, I met you in a random class. And I'm now working with her. And... I was like, there there must be some reason why. And I felt like it was like a little acknowledgement of like someone up there saying like, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Keep going. I feel like 
a lot of the time in high school or in a different country, you don't feel like you're where you belong. And I feel like we experience that on a daily basis, even if you speak the language. And I feel like that was a moment where I was like, I can be here and I can, I belong. Even though I didn't really have friends back then or anybody, I didn't know if I was gonna, I was gonna be a Broadway. But I felt like it was a moment where I was like, I can, I can keep going. And it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and as I sat there, stone cold, completely unaffected by this emotionless story, I'm lying. I'm lying to you. Because in all seriousness, the story was so beautiful and threw me for a loop. Because I had no idea what to expect when I decided to reach out to get Riza's side of it. But here I was, yet again, crying in the Forever Dog comedy podcast studio. What hit home the most was Riza saying that Julia made her feel like she belonged. And I couldn't help but feel incredible parallels between Riza's story and Patrick. I think the thing that like makes me feel emotional right now is mm-hmm. you said something like I want to be like her right mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like my my takeaway a little bit is like like I'm we're I'm striving to like also be like that person you yeah. know and and show kindness sometimes when you forget about it or when the fucking day is bad <laughs> and you feel crazy yeah. and someone cuts you off it's like that to me is that to me is something I always to strive for especially right now with like you know the constant shit show of you know American politics are crazy yeah. right now. We're living in a weird space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to strive to be kind, lead with kindness and lead with open heart. And I feel like it's hard to do it with, for strangers. I don't know you. You don't know me. Why? You don't owe me anything. But Julia did for me. And it meant so much. And I hope I can do that. do the same. And now that I'm on... On Broadway, which is crazy. Dream come true. That's right, Carol. We buried the lead. That 16-year-old girl who moved across the world to follow a dream, she did exactly what she set out to do. She's currently on Broadway in Mean Girls, the musical. You go, Glenn Coco. Um, and I want to do the same for people who come to me. And I try to as much as I can. Um, and because Julia did for me. Paying it forward is such a crucial takeaway from this season and this story. Julia was kind to Riza in a moment when she, unknowingly to Julia, really needed it. And it changed her life profoundly. It pushed her to learn English and follow her dream. And eventually, Riza made it to Broadway. Patrick was kind to me in a moment I desperately needed it, unknowingly to him. And now we're on episode seven of a podcast that is mostly inspired by him. And that's what a lot of these stories are about. Recognizing the profound impact someone has had on your life, and maybe if we don't get too cynical about it, deciding to pay it forward, or at the very least, say thank you. And that prompted me to tell Riza a story about a person who started this journey, Patrick. Now, important for you to know that I did tell Riza the Patrick story. 
And we didn't include it because you know the story. And I rambled for about 20 minutes. And Tracy was like, that's too long, Mike. And she was right. But during the retelling, something weird happened that I didn't notice until Tracy told me later. I didn't say Patrick's name once. I kept referring to him as the doorman or that man, which, honestly, I've never done. And then after the story, when we were pretty much done with our interview, I decided last minute to ask Riza one more question about what I thought was a gap in her story. Yeah. The story is almost in like three sections. It's like you're growing up, mm-hmm. what brought you to Canada. Mm-hmm. I think the workshop is one part. And mm-hmm. then I think like leading up to almost like a break in between before you book Mamma Mia. Can yeah. you take me through a little bit of what that year was like for you? Yeah. Um. So after senior senior year of my college, I, I lost my best friend, uh, Patrick. <gasps> That's it. No. That's it. I'm not <laughs> no, what's happening? Okay. Okay. Everyone calm down. What you just heard was me dashing out of the room and Tracy saying, That's it. After the sweetest girl in the world told us something extremely serious. And I and we understand how wild and inappropriate that is. But. I dashed, and Tracy said that's it, because after months of trying to connect with a man named Patrick, who I believe to be my guardian angel, breadcrumb after breadcrumb brought us here to a moment where, in all honesty, felt like a culmination of a lot of, I'm going to say it, synchronicities. I'm sorry, I know you just you just had a friend you like lost, you like, I imagine died, and like, our, this reaction doesn't make sense, but like, um... I, I have to tell you now because you're if I don't tell you, you're going to be like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> yes. Risa, the name of my guardian angel, the doorman's name uh, is Patrick. No way. <laughs> yes. What? Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I like also if I wouldn't have asked you to like take wow. me through the year before you booked Mamma Mia, uh-huh. there's no way. I don't think you would have said this yeah I connect loose dots like I'm my boyfriend says like I connect loose dots it's like psycho Uh and so like I I find synchronicities like there's synchronicities with like thank you for the music but like there's also a synchronicity that I'm at the end of this journey I've been searching for this guy named Patrick and yeah my guardian angel I consider Patrick as my guardian angel (laughs) because he's up above now but he's with me always it's crazy. <laughs> okay, so would you, uh, you, are you comfortable telling, telling a little bit, talking a little bit about Patrick? <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm going to cry again, and I'm so sorry, <laughs> but like, this is what I'm talking about, Tracy. This so is- I took a deep breath, and Risa went on to talk about her Patrick. So Mama Mia happened 2016. I graduated 2014. So... Patrick's my best friend. Uh, four years of college, he's been my rock. Um, he was an acting major. I was a musical theater major, but we bonded because we both love musical theater. And he he was my bestest friend. And so 2014, uh, two days before my birthday, um, and also a week before our graduation in May, uh, we went out to dinner, 
and we were ready to rage on the weekend for my birthday. And we were out to dinner having sushi and he starts feeling a little sick. And I was like, are you okay? And he's like, I have just a really bad headache. And we bought like tequila, vodka, all these things for, for us to drink that night, starting that night. And, but he's like, you know what? We should just go home and just like, let's rest up, maybe watch a movie and um, let's go home. So I was like, okay, let's go home. And we go home, we're just hanging out with like him and a couple of our friends. And he's like, I, I need to like lay down. And I was like, can I do anything? And he's like, yeah, I'll like get you popsicle, whatever. Um, so that was April 30th. Two days after, it's my birthday. And I don't hear from him. And it's like, I'm like a little pissed. I was like, if you're my best friend, you're not even texting me. And I haven't heard from him. And I start getting calls from police saying like, I need, I need to get a hold of Riza. I was like, what? It's my birthday. <laughs> like, don't bother me on my don't birthday. Don't me on my birthday. <laughs> no, don't ask anything. Uh, and I'm at the apartment. Two detectives shows up and tells me he passed this morning. And in my head, it's like, what? I have no idea. And at this point, we don't know what had happened. But what happened was that he had meningitis. So the night of night when we went to dinner was the last time he was really conscious. And after that, so meningitis is super quick. So when he starts showing symptoms, you have to go to the hospital. Otherwise, you're... Even if you're saved, you're paralyzed or you're brain damaged and everything. But this time, we just really didn't know what meningitis is like. He just said that he's sick. He has cold. We had no idea. And two days after, on my birthday, he he just passed. So then it was a crazy time in my life. It's like we were about to graduate. And it's my birthday. And I I lost my bestest friend. And... That was a time when I was going to quit theater. Because <laughs> I was like, I can't do this anymore. And it's like, I worked so hard to be, um, be over here, from, away from my family. Um, studied in Canada. And finished four years of college, but showcases a lot, like we talked. And I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And then my best friend passed, and I felt like that was... I can't stop anymore, <laughs> you know? Like, this this is a, the right time for me to quit. And I felt like if if he if he knew that I quit, he would have punched me in the face. <laughs> so that really changed my perspective of like I I'm meant to stay here because I was going to go home and it's like I'm I'm done for many many reasons you know we go through up and downs but so I lost Patrick um so the first year of moving to the city was tough and I booked something wonderful after a year not booking which uh it, it was called Waterfall it was a new musical and that was so lovely but I was still struggling to from Patrick's passing um yeah, so that was kind of my story about losing Patrick. But ever since then, I feel like he's always with me. 
and encouraging me and that's and part of it is even if I don't have work for a year I feel like he's with me and I know that like he's my guardian angel and I have to <laughs> keep pushing <laughs> I thanked Riza for sharing such a beautiful and tragic story about her guardian angel, also named Patrick. She went on to talk about the eng in the space, which I have to be very real with you. Lots of Beyond sessions feel somewhat magical in a way, but this recording specifically left an energy in the space that Tracy and I still talk about. The space felt lighter and buoyant and safe like a hug. The room honestly felt like a hug. And Risa went on to talk a little bit about this feeling in the space, unprompted. And then she also goes on to talk about the lesson in all of this for her. This is very, this is very nice. This room feels safe. The energy is great. And I feel like we go up and down with our emotions. Mm -hmm. But like moments like this is very... Also encouraging to know that, like, we belong Mm -hmm. here (laughs) in this world. You know what I mean? Oftentimes you don't feel that way. It's like, oh, why am I here? Or in different places, within friends, work, uh, world, all these feelings. But I feel like, oh, it's not too bad to to be here Mm -hmm. with all these different people. (laughs) <laughs> and I, lo- I love the idea of we belong. I, lo- I think that's yeah. actually kind of like a really nice way to phrase it is that yeah. sometimes we get these reminders, these synchronicities, like mm-hmm. that so many that have just happened in the last hour yeah. that you're saying we belong. And I think that I know for the listeners of this podcast, there a lot of them are like totally emotional spiritual beings, which is why they <laughs> love this stuff. Uh-huh. But like maybe if you're listening and you needed to hear the sentence we belong mm-hmm. or you belong mm-hmm. then you belong yeah. like yeah really like you belong right <laughs> where you are right now and yeah. like I don't know sometimes people need to hear that yeah and that's nice and it's okay to like it's okay to say that to someone to be like you belong here yeah, yeah. that's what Julia did to you yeah truly with open arms with just like a huge group hug Warm hug. I thank Teresa for coming in and sharing her side of the story and for telling me about her Patrick. And after hearing the other side of Julia's story, I realized that we don't often get to hear the other side of the things we do. And if we could, would we all be jumping at opportunities to help people? To make others feel like they belong? I thought Riza would have an interesting story, but I had no idea how much that masterclass meant and how much she looked up to Julia. And by just Julia taking the time to look past the barriers of language, she made Riza feel like she belonged. And that 20 minutes greatly impacted the rest of her life. Which, babe the universe reminded the both of them when they got to sing that song together on stage at the Muni a decade later. Something I personally feel was not by accident. Julia's story about Riza and Riza's story about Julia 
also led me right back to Patrick, which by the beginning of December was pretty much at a dead end. I had to face the sobering truth that after months of communicating with Steve and checking in on Patrick, it seemed like connecting with him again wasn't going to happen. And in one of the last emails I received from Steve, he reminded me that Patrick doesn't take many calls these days. And maybe the one call we did have was, quote, meant to be. So as Riza pitched, I wrote Patrick a letter and I sent it to Steve to read to him. It was a thank you letter, letting him know everything he meant to me and what this journey, inspired by him, has taught me. And that was going to be the crux of the eighth and final episode of the season. Until four days ago. Four days ago, during the narration for this episode, I got on the phone with Steve one more time to double check and make sure he was okay with the call you heard earlier being used. And on this call, Steve gave me an update. A very important update. An update that made me run back up into the studio to call Alex and explain with Tracy what had just happened. Oh my God! I know, when we thought we were down, they bring us back in. <laughs> oh my God! I know. So what are we going to do? When's the call? I'm waiting. I'll hear today after five. He's going to chat with Anthony at five. So he said he'll let me know right after. Oh my fucking God. So we're waiting for an email from Steve where he's going to tell us basically how the season will end. <laughs> And I waited for that email. And the next morning, as I was walking to the F train, an email came through. An email from Steve. The subject of the email? Anthony calling you now. The body? Five words. Patrick will take a visit. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.